0: Good morning, everyone. It is so absolutely wonderful to be here. My family and I arrived in South Carolina a little over a year ago uh, from Canada. How many of you have been to Canada before? Oh, wow, lots of you. Niagara Falls, right? A lot of you? Yeah, that's often a place, yeah. I am uh, very busy in my role as the chair of the religion department. I love what I do. It's an absolutely amazing uh, opportunity that I have to serve the kingdom. By ministering at Southern Wesleyan University. But at my heart, at my core, I'm a pastor. Uh, a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, I was referred often as Pastor Mike. I was a local church pastor. So it is an absolute honor to be here this morning. Uh, I love being in and around the local church. And you have an amazing church here at Trinity Wesleyan Church, amazing staff, eh? There's a Canadian A there, I'm trying to be careful with that, yeah. Uh, Pastor Lee and his wife are doing a tremendous job with the youth program. I've heard some really, really great things about that. Um, Pastor, is it Aaron? Pastor Aaron did a tremendous job. How many of you were involved in the VBS last week? Some of you? Wonderful. I heard good things about the VBS last week. Great to have Pastor Richard. He's a, a graduate of Southern Wesleyan University. And uh, we love having, uh, having him uh, here and still in and around the church. And I understand, um, Lauren, you might be considering Southern Wesleyan University. Let's talk afterwards. That's, that's great. And, uh, of course, we're really, really excited about Drew coming to Southern Wesleyan University here in a few weeks as well. So just really, really thrilled to connect with you in the local church. I uh, operate with a mantra at Southern Wesleyan University and that is we exist at Southern Wesleyan University to serve the church. We exist to serve the church. And so we're thinking of all, always thinking about different ways that we can honor and, uh, and serve you. This is one of the ways, but there's so many, many more. I've heard great things about you as a church. Pastor Mike loves to brag on you. Uh, it's wonderful to uh, be able to meet some of you face to face and even... My dentist is here this morning. So, I mean, this is just about as, 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 good, as, uh, as good as it can get. Uh, grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we're at. I'm guessing that most of you here uh, know what a house deed is. Do you know what a house deed is? A house deed? Okay, those of you who are, are house owners, you know what a house deed is. If you're a homeowner, I'm assuming somewhere in a safe place, maybe it's at your bank, maybe it's somewhere in your home, in a safe place, you have stored a document that's called a deed. Uh, A deed is a legal document that confirms that you bought your home from someone and that you possess entitlement to that land, to that home that you own. Now, somewhere in that deed, there is a lot line. A lot line outlining what you own and what you don't own is clearly outlined there on that deed. And those surveyed lines on those deeds, they define the boundaries of what you can actually lay claim to. Those boundaries define what you own and what you do not own. Now, the neighbors on both sides of you Uh, know how important those lot lines actually are. I'm sure, for example, that some of you have defined those lines in particular ways in your lot or on your lot. Some of you have trees that define where those lot lines are. Some of you have fences. You've built fences, a wooden fence or a metal fence that define those lines. And those lines, they define who mows where, right, and where dogs are allowed to go and where they're not allowed to go, right? Those lines do. And where kids are permitted to play. Those lot lines define those things. They define what's yours and what's not yours. You've heard that saying before. What is it? Good, uh, good fences make good neighbors. That's right. Good fences make good neb- neighbors. And to a certain extent, we would agree that that's true. That's true, because fences define boundaries, and for the most part, I would say that we're glad for that, aren't you? I'm I'm, I'm glad for that. So let's take this uh, this practical backyard experience, okay, And, and let's apply it now to our relationships with people and our perceptions of people. We'll come back to lot lines in just a moment. But for now, let's consider how we perceive the people around us. And let me say, church, this is where our boundary making can sometimes, not always, but, but sometimes go bad. Because, see, the, the, the moment that we create a boundary in our minds, uh, a property line, if you will, it, it tends to define Who's on one side of the line and who's on the other? You with me this morning? And friends, when this happens, uncritically and often unconsciously, we begin to label people. They are other. They are not you. They are them. They are those people. They are that kind you know what I'm talking about don't you and we see it in clicks and we can see it sometimes in in stereotypes and in our prejudices sometimes and yes even in our churches in in countless ways and ever so subtly we learn early on in our lives to build fences to withdraw to criticize. And once that happens, we begin to define ourselves, catch this, not by who we are, but by who we are not. It's the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18 verse 11, you know it. They're saying, God, I thank you that I am not like the others. Those, those robbers, those those sinners, those adulterers or tax collectors. Lord, thank you that I am not like those people. We're prone to do the same sometimes, aren't we? You get the picture. We build fences. Now, um, with this in mind, let's go back to our legal deeds and our property lines um, for a minute. Early... Um, in the fall, well, late in the fall here in, in South Carolina, late in the fall, in fact, uh, it happens every year in the fall, God will, will pull an amusing little stunt on us as, as homeowners. See, it's precisely in the fall, late in the fall, every year, especially in this beautiful part of the United States of America. I was here last fall, I saw it. Creator God enables the leaves to fall from the tree. You've seen this. Great time, great, uh, great experience here in South Carolina. I don't think that there is a more beautiful place in the universe than South Carolina. When do the leaves fall here, Dr. Josh? January? February? I don't know. Is it November? November? Okay. The leaves have already fallen in Canada, so I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, South Carolina. Here's what God does. Inevitably, every year, God makes it so the leaves begin to fall from the trees. And friends, let me ask, where do those leaves go? They go everywhere, don't they? Right. Well, the upside of that is that the leaves uh, from the the, the big tree in your yard, where do those leaves go? On to your neighbor's lot. Yeah, exactly. But the downside, the kicker is that the leaves from the neighbor's towering tree, where, does that, where do they go? Onto your yard, that's right. Yeah, it's as if God looks down at our, our feeble attempts to establish property lines, and he says this, okay, how do your boundary lines look now? <laughs> this morning, as we read our passage of scripture, as we read our story, we're going to look at a story this morning. In which Jesus goes out of his way to demolish the boundary lines, the property lines in this story. It's the well-known story of Jesus' encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. You know this story. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Let's read it this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man named Zacchaeus lived there. He was a chief tax collector and he was very rich. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was a short man. He could not see Jesus because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. He wanted to see Jesus, who was coming that way. Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. They began to whisper among themselves. They said, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. He said, look, Lord, here and now I have, or I give half of what I own to those who are poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back. I will pay back four times the amount I took. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, catch this, today, Salvation has come to this home. You are a member of Abraham's family line. The Son of Man came to look for the lost and save them. I want to invite you just this morning, just to close your eyes, just for a few seconds. Just close your eyes for a few moments. And I want you to, in your mind, to picture Jesus in your mind. Can you do that this morning? Just, just picture Jesus in your mind for a moment. And now from the vast index in your mind, I want you to consider for a second, you probably never, uh, you probably thought of this question, what does Jesus look like? And then the question that I simply want you to ask is this, and this is the question that you've maybe never asked yourself before, how tall is Jesus? (laughs) How tall is Jesus? All right, you can open your eyes. Um, How tall is Jesus? Feedback. How tall? He's 6'3", okay, all right. Okay, somebody else. We get a 6'3", Jesus over here. He's 5'5", okay, all right, somebody else. How tall is Jesus? He's 5'8", okay, all right, somebody else, one more. How tall is your Jesus? Five, 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 five. Uh, that's good, five, nine and a half, that's good. (laughs) Uh, It's obvious in our story this morning that that Zacchaeus was short, but but how tall is Jesus in in this story? Verse 3 here, look at it, verse 3 here has been interpreted in most English Bibles, in fact the one that I just read, the NIV interprets it this way, as suggesting that Zacchaeus was the short little fella in this story, and certainly you've heard that song, you've sung that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little, and a wee little... He climbed up for the, good, keep going. And as I... he sat up in a tree, and he said, for I'm going to your hands, today. You guys did it. Give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. That's great. Good for you. Right. That's great. Traditionally, we have taken the descriptor there in verse 3, he was too short verse 3, as exclusively referring to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the wee little guy who who was so short that he climbed up a sycamore tree to get a good look at tall Jesus as Jesus ministered through Jericho. But interestingly, track with me, in the original language, the phrase, he was too short, I know this is going to be a mind-bender for you, he was too short, it could have just as easily referred To Jesus here, as it could have referred to Jesus. How so? Follow along with me. For what it's worth, here's how verse 3 literally reads in the Greek. Quote, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, comma. No commas in Greek, but you get the point. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but was unable because of the crowd For he was small in stature. And so the linguistic question that I present to you today is this. Who is he referring to here? Is is it Zacchaeus as we've traditionally interpreted it, as a song interprets it? Or, Or is it Jesus? Was Zacchaeus so short and late to this Jesus rally, that he had to wiggle his tiny little man frame up a tree? (laughs) Or was Jesus so short that late arriving tall man Zacchaeus had to climb a tree just to get a good look at the tiny little rabbi at the front? Which is it? (laughs) Well, either way, you might find it interesting that there is nothing explicit here that helps us know who the short guy was in the text that we've just read this morning. Which is it? Incidentally, uh, it may intrigue you to know that in the earliest days of the church, some critics mocked the early church's claim that Jesus was the Messiah, saying, among other things, that the Son of God couldn't have been that short. At any rate, this is the part of the message uh, where you probably say, guest speaker, Mike, who cares? (laughs) Does does, does it really matter whether Jesus was six foot three or five foot nine and a half or five foot one? What, What difference does it really make how tall Jesus was or how short, low to the ground that he actually was? And my response to be blunt and honest is this, it matters very little. It really matters very little. But then, I also add this morning that regardless of Jesus' physical stature in the story that we just read, we cannot deny, at least principally and in practice, Jesus was willing to get low to the ground. Are you with me this morning? To meet people where they were at. Take this story as a prime example. Look at the passage again this morning. What does the second part of verse 2 tell us about Zacchaeus? Take a look there in your Bible. What's it say? What's it tell us about Zacchaeus? Feedback. What's that? He was a tax collector, right? Not just any tax collector, though. What's it say there? He was the chief tax collector. And what's it say after that? Dude had a lot of money, okay? Chief tax collector, and he had a whole lot of money. I mean, this guy was, frankly, the godfather of corruption. He was the, the, the chief deceit officer in the land. He was the primary rip-off artist in the community. Zacchaeus was a bottom feeder. He was a bottom feeder. He was an opportunist. But catch this. Jesus, low to the ground, meets a moral Zacchaeus, and what does he do? Look at verse 6 now. What does Jesus Jesus do? What happens in verse 6? And verse 5? What does Jesus do? Jesus joins Zacchaeus... For a dinner at his house. Now now let's remind ourselves this morning something about mealtimes in Jesus' day. In those days, people did not eat three meals a day like you and I eat three meals a day. They ate one, and they always ate it at the very, very end of the day, and so rich people like Zacchaeus, they would open up their homes and they would welcome people in for a meal. Uh, they'd have all kinds of different people. They'd have politicians and educators and, and military people and dentists, popular people, right? Uh, and and you, would, uh, you invited someone into your house when you actually did that. In essence, what you were saying to them is you're okay. You're on my side of the property line, you're an insider. So when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, let's go have dinner at your house, there is lots more going on here culturally than just an exchange of food. By it, Jesus is saying, when I eat with you, Zacchaeus, I'm on your side of the property line. Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning. As I read this story, this is the part of the story where my justice meter (laughs) begins to kick in a little bit. And just like the crowd there, in verse 7, there's a part of me that, frankly, wants to complain a little bit. Jesus has gone to be his guest? you got to be kidding me. It's like Jesus coming to Central and us expecting that he would hang out with amazing people like you and me. But instead... He hangs out exclusively with people who would never darken the doors of a beautiful building like this. Why does he do this? I mean, doesn't he know how great we actually are? (laughs) And he's gone to be the guest of people like Zacchaeus? The most perplexing part of the story, for me at least, is at the very end of the meal with Zacchaeus, where Jesus says there in verse 9, today, salvation has come to this house. We are not used to thinking about the steps of salvation like this story. Think this through with me for a moment. Why is Jesus having dinner with people that you and I don't like. Jesus' habit is to consistently hang out with people on the outside of our boundaries. And by the way, why is Jesus born in Bethlehem and not Jerusalem? And why does he appear to shepherds and not kings? And why is he raised in Nazareth? Doesn't he know that nothing good comes from Nazareth? And, And why does he keep telling Weird stories in the Bible about Samaritans in ditches and and Gentiles getting hired late in the day with equal pay. And why does he allow germ-infested children to crawl all over him? Why is it that Jesus lets a sinful woman wash his feet with her hands? Why does he talk about throwing banquets and inviting poor people and people with special needs in? And while we're at it, why does he ride in on a donkey and not a horse? Doesn't he know that only poor people ride donkeys? Jesus is supposed to come and save the faithful people of Israel, but instead he comes and pursues the lost of Israel. Do you see it? Do you see it? In principle, Jesus is short. Jesus is low to the ground. Look at Jesus' life in all of its totality. And we discover, friends, that Jesus didn't just dabble with non-Christians. As some sort of philanthropic, feel-good outreach experiment. Friends, we discovered that this is where Jesus spent his whole life. And he wouldn't have it any other way. This is where he lived. Friends, when, when we begin to realize this, we, we start to realize that the very, very same grace that was extended to Zacchaeus is the very same grace that is extended to you and me. And if that's true, it remains possible that the very same grace that's extended to you and to me can extend to those whom we view in our minds as beyond the property lines. And so the question is who were those people for you? Listen, I'm not asking you this morning to conjure up in your mind an image of the most repulsive, heinous criminal. Uh, on your television set, or, or on your smartphone, or a thousand miles away. We're talking this morning about real people in your life who you see and smell and hear and contact. These are neighbors. These are co-workers. These are family members. These are construction buddies. These are People in the stores where we frequent. They are folks we call them. Other. Can I be honest with you this morning? I'm pretty sure that my life would be a whole lot easier if I just kind of kept my distance and I disengaged and I disconnected. I mean, let, let's, let's face it. It's, it's easier that way, isn't it? It, it? it doesn't cost us as much when we live that way. See, our, our lives are, are, are a whole lot easier and more predictable when we reinforce the lot lines. But friends, God didn't create you and I like that. Whether you're eight years old here this morning or 80, he didn't create us like that. God has called us regardless of our age and regardless of our titles or our status to move beyond the invisible boundaries that we erect to take the time to live into the lives of people who may not smell or talk or look or think like you and me. Is that calling easy? Absolutely not. No, it's not. Do we blur the lines on sin? No, absolutely not. But as Christians... Neither can we isolate ourselves from the world that we live in. And so we love our town. And we love our community. And our pastor is a chaplain. And you engage in, our, uh, in, in different groups that you're associated with. And you love on people. And you put things up on, in your dentist office that people can read. Right? In essence, we're called to live our lives short low to the ground, just like Jesus did. You've been a gracious group to listen attentively. Uh, as I was preparing a message this morning, I had uh, a few moments of crippling fear, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I thought uh, to myself, I've been here a few times, so I've, I've met some of you, and, and as I was preparing for the message, I thought, what can I possibly say To an amazing group of people like Trinity Wesleyan Church. Uh, What can I possibly say? And and as I look out at you as a group this morning, um, here's what I see. Uh, I see a group of people uh, here this morning as I look around uh, this group. I see a group of people here this morning with not just years, but, but likely decades of faithful service. To, to God and God's kingdom. The truth is this morning that, that I've got an amazing view. <laughs> I've got an amazing view here this morning. It, it's obvious from the very moment that I walked into this building here this morning, you guys love each other. You love each other. It's evident. It's evident in the way you interact and you communicate with with each other. You're a warm and you're a welcoming group. Pastor Mike, you were right. When you brag on these people, I can understand why you do. But church, our love, it's intended to be shared, even beyond these walls. You're with me this morning, and so friends. In some respect, this message is very simple. It's very, very straightforward. God calls us to build bridges with people, not boundaries. It's, it's really just that simple at its core. Our ability, though, to respond to a message like this is a lot more complex. It's complex because, among other things, sin reinforces our blindness to the prejudices that we have and the boundaries that we erect, the the lurking nature of sin makes it so we can walk away from a message like this, we can drive out of the parking lot, focus more intently on the boundary lines of other people than our own. And so as we close this morning, I don't have a list of suggestions for you to compel you to bring down those boundary lines. That's not for me to determine. That's for you and for God to determine. And so in closing... Uh, I'm asking you this morning to take whatever posture you want to take to hear from God. Maybe it's with your head bowed, or your head up, or your eyes closed, or your eyes open. That's that's completely up to you. And as a community of people here at Trinity Wesleyan Wesleyan Church, we're going to pray this prayer as we close. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you speak into our hearts and our minds? And would you bring to our attention this morning any areas of our lives where we have created boundary lines, property lines? We confess this morning that we are so prone to blindness. We have blind spots. And so, holy God, we're asking you today to shine a spotlight into our lives, to illuminate areas in which boundaries may exist. Would you forgive us for our tendency to create them? And God, as you bring faces, maybe relationships, maybe situations to our mind, we're asking this morning, God, for you to help us today... And this week, to cross those boundaries and tear them down. Thank you that you know us even, even better than, than we know ourselves. We pray for the people in Pickens County. We pray for people in streets right around this church that need you. People who aren't here today. People we will even drive by on our way home today. Would you guide them? Would you encourage them, Lord? Would you draw them to you? And God, we invite you to use us in that process of encouragement. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for its sense of belonging. We pray that through the power of your spirit, that you might advance this belonging both today and into the future. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.